landed the fish. And he looked at me and he said, he says, what kind of mullet is it? And I said, it's a ticklip. He said, I thought they were hard to catch. He said, you just walked down through it out and you caught one. And I kind of said, what am I going to say? And I said, no, no, they're hard to catch. So he stood beside me and, and I had a few more casts and I hooked another one and it came off. And I looked at my watch and said, you know, I'm going to be killed. I really need to get, get going. <laughs> I thought afterwards, poor chap thinks he just get a fly tied on to a, you know, a five or six weight and throw it out and his mullet are just going to start taking it. <laughs> Little does he know, you know, this could take <laughs> weeks to start catching them. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. With the unseasonably warm weather we've been having lately, although this is probably going to be the new norm anyway, it's also a good time to be casting a fly in the salt, with bass fishing particularly good at this time of year. But how has the 2023 saltwater season been overall? Where the bass biting and what about other species like pollock and mullet? Guide and instructor Jason O'Reardon joins us on this week's episode to give us some insights into how this season went and why his success targeting mullet has been a standout highlight for him on the Copper Coast. We'll hear from Jason in a moment and we have another 50 pound fulling mill voucher to give away later in the show. But first, Dara. Tom, you've been I, hold on, I normally do that line. <laughs> I know you do. I don't, don't, you've just spoiled it. <laughs> This is my big breakthrough. I'm sorry, you sorry. know, I've always wanted to do that line. Next week, I'm, I'm going to let I'm you do the hello me. and welcome bit. Like, <laughs> like you, you do one show and you think that's it. Yeah, you see, Tom I'm creeping in. I'm creeping in. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a taste for it now. I really am. I see the big lights, you know, the big lights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Anyway, you had a question for me, did you? Me. Yeah, you're sidetracking me here yeah, now. I know. Yeah. So, Dara, now. What was I going to ask you? Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. You've been mullet fishing with Jason. And I have to say, you came back, talked to me about it, and you were completely smitten by it. Why? Because I didn't catch. (laughs) (laughs) Was that it? Was it the challenge? No, it's the challenge. Yeah, it is. It's the challenge. Um, And what I, and again, the reason why I want to talk to Jason this week, and I thought it was very good, is that when I went out fishing with him earlier this year, like he was really focused on them. You know, and he talks about it on the podcast in terms of kind of mm. how his focus turned to them during the it's it's the heat wave conditions and we're gonna see more of them, you know. And mm-hmm. but there's a lot there's a couple of crossover points. One is and again he mentioned it in terms of river and locks anglers, it's more similar as opposed to, you know, just going bass on the fly. You're more likely to be a bass lure angler and you might cross over into the fly. Whereas if you're just a river tre- lock angler, mullet on the fly will appeal and I think it's the fact that now people like Jason Colin McLeod before you know who've pioneered this stuff that they're finding success you know you yeah. you mentioned Locatalia Tom you know that it was you know there was mullet but sure you can't catch them so you know yeah. they're just nice but now you're actually realizing people are having success with it and and I mentioned it as well before is like for me the coast is just this vast vast expanse of water you know in terms of where the hell do you catch fish anywhere there like Whereas where you come down, you can go onto the beach or you go to the estuary and, you know, if, if the conditions are right, you've timed it right, you see them swirling, feeding there, and they could be only in a foot or two of water, like. And, and, and that's what got me going when you were saying that, because I cast, like, I cast my mind back to Lakatholia because I, I know what it's like. And then, as you were saying there, when you're going fishing and you see them moving like that and you're geared up, you have the rod in your hand, the anticipation's got to be freaking fantastic. And it is. And, and not only that is, it could be the fish of a thousand casts in the sense of, yeah, you know, and I'm sure this will be perfected, you know, and tweaked as more people do it. And, you know, as, as it, you know, more kind of 
methods or whatever that people will kind of perfect it more. But at this stage, it's it could be a thousand casts, and you know you you miss a couple, but then you get one, and then you know I've yet to experience that. Um, but supposedly <laughs> when you do, but it is it's that it's seen. It. And I remember when I went fishing with Jason. I think the first two hours we were in the morning. There was nothing happening. And we were walking up and down the beach. And I was like, come on, look, you know, I think I saw a swirl out. Come on, can we, can we cast? And he's like, no, just hold your horses, hold your horses. And we, it must have been there. I'd say it was probably about an hour and a half. And then suddenly, whatever the switch was, you just, they started coming in feeding. And you saw the swirls. And, you, and then he was right. like, okay, this is it, this is it. Go, go, cast, cast. Yeah. And of course, my line got tangled. And my <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> Because like, oh. you know that anticipation where you're like, white line fever. <laughs> I could see Jason fucking, fucking, fucking. <laughs> but you know what actually oh. reminded me a bit though is Tom is um. But in fairness, we had probably about like we probably had another hour and a half. Then after that, of they were you know we were moving. they were still moving, they were still we were, going. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. Like, but um. It actually reminded me a little bit when he was talking about in terms of kind of the nervous water when, you know, when we were dry fly fishing in the second part of the day. And, you know, it was just like timing that cast, getting it right. And you were like, cast, start strike. And I was like, what, what, what? Fucking missed it. <laughs> and it was a bit of that kind of like, you just know, you just have to get into the rhythm and the feel for it. And I just yeah. like, it's the more you do it, you'll just. Oh, yeah. It's like anything I could imagine. Yes. The more you do of anything. You become more comfortable at it. Yeah, and you just get that timing. You know, yeah. you just, you, you're rough around the edges. Your timing's too fast. It's too slow. Yeah. The more you miss, the more you do it. That you know, you just refine it and hone it more, and mm. then you start getting into it. And then you know, you see, like I said, you see Jason. He focused on it the summer and success he was having doing it. It's actually been really interesting the chat we have with him, and and he deals a lot with how to go after them as well, which is really good as well. Um. But uh, yeah, he's he's put a fair amount of work into them, hasn't he? Yeah, it is, and it's but it's again adapting to the conditions as well. These heat, the heat wave we had June, yeah. July, and then even in September again, it's ideal for them, you know. And as he yeah. mentions, you know, it's October now. He's going to turn, he's turning back to the bass, um, and I'm hoping to get out myself, kind of October, November before it kind of really kind of shuts down, um, just to get line out in the water again. But it's. It's just, I suppose, adapting to that and kind of anticipating what's what's the fishing going to be like. And yeah, like I'm kind of can't wait now for next summer um, to try and have a go at it again. Actually, you just said it there. Will you will you try and get out for a bass? Yeah, yeah, no, I will. Month? Things have calmed down. Ireland are out of the World Cup, unfortunately, yeah. but it's yeah. calmed down work wise. Every every cloud is a silver lining. <laughs> See you more now. I can yeah. actually start yeah. to breed now, but um, yeah, I've got. Hoping to get out the end of the month. Bit of pike fishing actually booked in October as well, November as well. So, but uh, so look, I know. I suppose this episode was we we did kind of focus on bullet on the fly. It was kind of we did want to kind of you know review the saltwater season, um, because, um, you know there was the bass, and you know Jason does talk about the different conditions and how that kind of affected the fishing. So I think it's very interesting overall, and I do think people will learn a lot from this and. You never know. Um, looking forward to next season. I might wet their appetite um, to, to have a go at it. So look, let's get back to this week's guests and Jason O'Riordan and the focus on the 2023 saltwater season. And I first asked Jason to give us a rundown of how it went for him. I suppose it starts for me saltwater-wise around May. I do a bit of lock fishing before that in March, April. 
in early May, and then you kind of start getting the weather for salt water then at that stage. So I look back just obviously because you, you had said we'd be having a look, a, a bit of a review there. And yeah, the weather, it's a bit like, ask anyone, I think this year, really, the weather has had mad effects. So for me, probably May, some years even April are good. This season, we had a lot of cold wind. Um, I think it was probably close to June before it really started to to pick up. And normally, early season is kind of bass. And this year, it wasn't great for me, really, to be honest. Um, so I just switched over to to the mullet because we got that heat wave and, you know, the, the mullet were just everywhere down here with that weather. So it was a kind of a case of guiding-wise, we kind of looked at kind of a mixed mixed bag just to suit the conditions. So we were doing a bit of bass and a bit of mullet. Um, and you will find probably June, July, you get a lot of smaller schoolie bass unless you're going to fish nighttime, you know, um, and most tourists don't want to be fishing at night. Most guides, you know, Tom will tell you with the cane, is most guides don't want to be out at all sorts of hours either, really, to be fair. Um, and it's hard to, you know, I mean, what, what you'd have to charge people if you were going fishing at three o'clock in the morning all the time and that then as well is a factor. So Why why is the night time? Is it because they're getting more spooked or what is it? I think, I'd look, it's only theory. My theory is if we get good conditions in late April, May, fishing is easier. And I think that's probably because they're a bit hungrier after spawning. Um, yes, bit more... just one thing, just one thing there. What quantifies good conditions in April? Heat, rising Heat. water okay, temperature. So basically what you're looking for is a rising water temperature from April. And yeah. that's that's what you're looking for. All right. Yeah, sorry, I just Yeah, so like if we don't get a rising water temperature, I think it's something around twelve degrees is sort of what, what you're looking for. From that on up, um again, people be listening to podcasts and maybe you know lower anglers and just say, oh, I'll catch them at ten degrees. But you know, I think to get the bass active after spawning I I think anyway, can twelve or thirteen degrees is kind of your starting point. Um, if you get you know a bit more like fourteen, fifteen in terms of water temperature, then they're going to be more active. Uh, so that helps. I think they're a bit more dumb because they're hungry, and I suppose to be fair, they're not seeing a lot of lures or flies. You know they haven't seen them in a while. You know. Probably as time goes on with the developments in lures and lads are putting in more time in December and January, that window is probably not as as big as it was in terms of the fish not seeing lures. But um, I, I definitely, uh, look, I, again, I subscribe to the theory. If they see enough lures and you throw a fly at them, you may be more likely to take a fly at that stage even. Was it all fly, um, Jason, for you this year, even for the boss? Yeah, yeah, there was... The way it went, really for me in daytime, bright conditions, you have two options. You fish at night or you fish a current. So you look for somewhere with a current. Um, So you've got a flow of water similar to a river. The fish are less spooky in the bright sun. You know, it it makes sense. And then obviously 
So you get big tides in the early morning or evening and the low, sort of lower light conditions. Um, the other thing is schoolies in shoals is a kind of feeding frenzy. So again, smaller fish in shoals cast into them. You have a good chance of hitting fish. Larger fish, you're probably talking about fish in dawn, dusk or night time. Is it akin? Is it akin to like brownies? I'll look at the crossover here between freshwater and saltwater. But like, like because I do a fair whack of night fishing, and I find that the bigger fish are more comfortable going around at the top of the water at night time. I think that's the best way of putting it. I wouldn't say they're they're speaking. They're just more comfortable, whereas you wouldn't see them doing it as often uh, during the daytime. Would the bass be similar? Um, well, one of the things I'd say, if you look at lock fishing in March, April, where you're fishing primarily lures as a, as a, when I say lures, I mean, is in a fly, minky, zonkers, that type of thing, you'll get big fish. That if you fish the same fly a month later, I don't, I don't think you'll get fish. Mm. The hatches have started, fish have put on condition. I'd say the bass are somewhat the same. You know, they've spawned, they're lean, they're hungry. Start off a bit lethargic. The water's cold. Same fishing for trout above. You know, you know, mass carob. You know, they're not going to chase things at fifty miles an hour in cold water. So it's a bit like that. And then again, food items start to appear. They get more plentiful. Water's getting warmer. Fish get more picky. I'd say to some to some extent. And then wild fish, they're spooky. You know, you stand up on a rock with a fly rod and you're making a couple of double hauls and this this thing is flashing, you know, in the bright sunshine and you expect these fish to come, to come swimming over beside you. Uh, and look, we're dealing with fly fishing. And from a guiding point of view, you know, a lot of lads are starting out, so they're not going to be really proficient casters. So you don't want to be fishing certain marks where you have a wave and a wind into your face because they're just, you know, it's just making life too hard for them. So you're going to go for areas where the wind's behind or a bit more sheltered, it's a bit more comfortable. But that means calmer water, cleaner water, easier to spook the fish. Um, and, and you will find, like for me, in that time of year, I'm fishing lighter rods, longer leaders, lighter leaders. Um, so you, you catch more fish, but the amount of bigger fish, obviously, you know, are kind of scattered in between the small fish. Uh, but having said that, if you get a fish two pound weight on a five weight, you know, be it a trout or a sea trout or a you know or a bass, it's it's our mullet. It's it's still a good fight. Like it's 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 good. It's good sport. Like because of the cold that we had um, in the spring, you reckon that kind of just put a stop on things early season, or how would you describe it? Like, I suppose, look, it makes it difficult, and you know, normally I go out put in a good bit of recon before I start guiding lads, you know, and people would be emailing me and I'd be putting them off. You know, I, I know you're losing money from a, a guiding point of view, but long-term, I think if you keep bringing lads when the conditions are bad, you know what I mean? They're, they're just going to say, you go down there, you go fishing for these saltwater species and you catch nothing. And you know yourself, Dara, I mean, say when you were coming down for the mud, like I'd say, look, don't come this week. Wait and we see if the weather is right, conditions are right. You want to give lads the best chance. And north winds, east winds, they're not good for most types of fishing, really. And then we got a load of rain, you might remember at times as well. And, you know, that dirties up the water. 
eat a lot of fresh water. Like bass will tolerate fresh water, but like you're fishing again, you're fishing flies. It's it's hard if you want to fish a fly in murky water. Uh, sometimes at night as well, if you're looking for profile, you're looking for you know getting closer to pike flies. Going that big, like you would, yeah, you would just just so that it bulky heads on the flies create the disturbance. You can add rattles. Um, black, funny enough, is is a great contrast color in in murky water at night as well. Mm. A lot of black in the fly, so. Again, you're into the thing. You need a nine way to throw these things pretty to be, you know, I know people, again, really good casters might cast a certain distance on a seven or an eight. But for most lads, you're looking at a nine weight. And then you're looking at just getting a bit of distance with it. And and it's hard. It's just tough. And, you know, bass session, you're looking at probably four hours plus. You know, they tend to be either two hours either side of high or two hours either side of low or, you know, certain marks you're fishing in the middle of. It's hard work casting, you know, nine weights. I know they're probably lighter than they used to be at that, but it's hard, it's hard work casting and stripping these big flies, you know, for long periods. And some of the places we fish, they're not dangerous in terms of climbing and rocks too much, but there's a lot of walking and, you know, it's just hard going for a lad who's, he wants to enjoy it, you know. It's meant, it's meant to be fun, Jason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there many, um, because obviously my kind of experience, even of seeing other lads fishing for bass, it's it's mainly kind of lure, you know, spinning with lure rods. Um, are they few and far between the kind of bass uh, fly only anglers? I don't see too many in, 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 in the area around here. Most of them are lads who, you know, you do a podcast or you do something like that and they decide to come down having a, scope around they might go to a tackle shop get a bit of advice and they'll come and look a lot of those lads then if they don't know the area and where to go in different wind directions even you know they're going to struggle just to find a, a decent spot um, a few obvious spots and, and, you, and you'll meet them a couple of lads that'll be just fly fishing but very few um, lads are into a few local lads here you know what I mean getting into it a bit more and funny enough, they're, they don't want to lure fish anymore. There's one lad what this year now, we spent a good bit of time with him, yeah. you know, f- mullet fishing, and he, he just won't pick up a spinning rod again. Like, But I, I suppose there, though, Jason, like for anybody, let's say, who started off themselves, probably easier to find areas going around and, and fishing the lure. I, you can search a water probably better with it and move on. And then I suppose, like if you're building up a repertoire for yourself, let's say somebody's just going off and they have a piece of coastline that they want to work on, they can find the areas probably better and then graduate onto the fly fishing. If you asked me that a few years ago, and it probably was on you know similar types of podcasts, I would have said, yeah. I actually wouldn't say it now. You, because of what you said, you can cover so much water with lures that are so hard to copy with a fly that you're actually, I think now you're better off to look for locations that are suitable for fly fishing and fly fishing. You know, because if you go out in the rocks, um, you know, and let's say you need to cast 50 or 60 yards or whatever it is, and you're using 15 or 20 pound braid and a, you know, 10 foot mm-hmm. spinning rod and a 20 gram or 30 gram lure, You'll get it out there. You might hook a bass at 10 feet. He could have followed it most of the ways in. Mm. So what happens sometimes is 
places that are productive enough spinning where you're meeting the bass at distance and then ever but like within reason you're rarely going to catch them then on the fly because you're never covering them mm. and equally like if you're fishing let's take Tremor for instance like Tremor they would fish I would say 30-40 gram jigs I'm guessing because of the flow of tide uh, Dungarvan you're probably places I used to fish jig heads you're probably looking at in around 18 grams and now you're, you're going to go down with your sinking line right pick the fastest one you have like equivalent to say a DI8 you know they're talking about 20 grams up to get your fly down there mm. you know um, there's places that were really productive for me deep pools you know and channels and stuff where it was when I was to spin and I just just really difficult to catch on the fly there it's interesting because you know yourself Thomas you know the kind of typical picture you think of the bass angler is on the rocks you know the waves crashing around yeah, yeah. throwing the lure out stereotypical bass kind of ground is but maybe we need to be thinking now with the fly rod let's start thinking differently yeah I mean that type of ground again it goes back to what Tom said earlier about low light conditions dusk and dawn the fish will come in closer for a short period there and it will be will stay in fly range and you don't need the surf to get the fish moving because it's just you know the light conditions and they're hunting and it's kind of a prime time for, for bass anyway but I mean, the, as you say, the, the typical what you see in photographs, waves going over your head, even if you can get the fly out, trying to control the line. Right, trust me, right, if you're standing up on a rock over that, trying to control the line between your rod tip and that fly. I mean, like, think about how fast you'd have to strip that to get movement into the fly because the waves are moving so fast towards you, like, you know, all I see is tangles, right? Frustrated anglers, um, you know. And and again, take take beach fishing, right? On surf beaches, you know, to cast out over the waves. Even at night, um, I put a good bit of time in on, on some of the beaches down here at night, trying it. And you know, the lads near me were catching, spinning, and that. And it's not that it was deep, but. Uh, I, my experience, the distance that they were covering with the lures, I was catching flounder. Oh, Jay, if you wanted to catch flounder now and have a bit of fun on a flyer with <laughs> flounder, this was great. If you're actually trying to catch the bass. And again, you see. Uh, what was the shortfall there, uh, Jason? Was it distance? Distance at night, yeah. Yeah. Distance and at is night. It, is it to get it? Is it to get it out beyond the, the breaking waves or what? Now, I'm asking this because I'm the clue. No, how to, how to a fly cast on a surf, right? So I'm just want, very interested mm. by this now. So if I roll up to a beach, I mean, am I trying to get out beyond the breaking waves or what? Well, at night there's no waves. You're looking for flat cam. So you want flat cam, yeah? Flat cam, shallow beaches, shallow surf beaches. That's what most of the lads would be lower fishing. I know. Look, you might be catching, but ideally, would say, you know, down here, surf beaches, flat cam. Um, summer night, low water, say twelve o'clock. So you're fishing, in, you know, into the dark. Be just about dusk, and you're starting. You turn on a headlamp. Sandy's coming out from under your feet. You kind of know there's bass around. They're going to be feeding, and the lads are throwing out the lures. You know, fifty yards down from me, and they're they're whacking bass. 
I'm here killing myself with my fly rod. And you walk up the beach and I say, yeah, I waded out to my waist and I was catching them two rod lengths away. I'm sorry, two rod lengths away. And then you're not catching them. And you can get, you know, try chew flies. You can get the, the flies to behave the same way as the lures are behaving. Making that V in the surface film is, is kind of a, a typical one that really seems to attract them at night on those those conditions. But again, you know that the soft plastics and the lures the lads are you and I used to use, you know, when I did a lot of a lot of spinning, I mean you only have to lob this thing with twenty pound braid and it's gone out to the horizon. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know? So I look the conclusion, I could be wrong. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I don't know. You know, you you just don't know in fishing, but the conclusion I came to was that I I wasn't reaching the fish. You know, I wasn't drawing the fish into me. Um because the, the the beaches I'm thinking of are they're, they're quite shallow out for a long long distance. That's interesting. Uh, but tell me, so if you're a fly angler and you're thinking, you know, I wouldn't mind having to go at the bass, ignore the photos that you're seeing of the rocks and the waves. Where what's the fly angler looking for? Yeah, I, look, I think someone starting out into saltwater fly fishing that hasn't got much of experience of fishing in, into the wind, like some reservoir anglers would have, uh, maybe shore, fishing from the shore would have a, a reasonable experience. And competition anglers, you know, where you've no choice, you're pegged and the wind is blown into your face and you have to and you have to be able to cast or you're not going to be probably winning much. Um but they'll manage to cast into the wind. And Tom will tell you this, you know, in terms of buzzers and certain techniques. If you can't control what the fly's doing, you're not at much. You know. And and that's the problem with surf. Controlling it. You'll see lads using switch rods and in the States they do a bit of fly fishing in the surf for for striped bass and that and they use longer rods they call them switch rods are probably not the same as our kind of salmon switch rods I, I think they're a bit different a few I've seen but um, you know in the daytime in a small surf where you can cast over it with a longer fly rod and control what the fly is doing uh, I don't care if it's salmon trout if you can't control what your fly is doing I think you're not mm-hmm. not it's not productive fishing like. So what kind of ground are you looking for, Jason? I think for some it's starting off estuaries. Okay. Right. You know, you're going to be starting off in the summer, really. If you think about it, you know, you're, you're starting off in the summer months. You probably want to fish in the daytime. You don't want to go wandering around in the nighttime straight off. Uh, so estuaries. at the deep really, end, yeah. Yeah. You know, flow of water. You know, you've a current. You, you've usually got nice coves or bays or sandy places where you can fish closer to high water where where your schoolies are going to be patrolling you're going to see surface activity you're going to see mullet you're going to maybe see sea trout keeps you casting keeps you going um most lads can't tell a bass from a mullet swirling around the place so it just keeps on casting it's not necessarily a bad thing you know because the bass and mullet will swim around the same ground anyway um, and you've movement, uh, you know, in, in the summer months, June, July, movement in the water is, it's a big help, like a current. And in fairness, actually, I found it, Jason, I remember the, like the, the times when I'd gone out and say it would have been kind of spinning and it is, it's kind of intimidating when, when you're not used to fishing the coast and you're just, and I think we mentioned this before, it's just got this massive expanse of water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't see fish because it's the surf, it's the rocks. You could be casting for a couple of hours. If you're inexperienced, you don't know if they're just not there if you're doing something wrong you know you're kind of casting 
just really not knowing. Whereas I do like that idea, like I said, is if you're actually seeing fish swirling in the conditions, at least you're casting to something like. Yeah, look, camp conditions, shallow water, you'll either see fish moving if you're clued in, and you have to be clued in sometimes. Um, again, it's, it's, you know, like some of the fish, like, like the mullet sometimes, it's only nervous water. You know, other times they're crashing around and it's very easy. Um, bass are probably easier to pick out coming in on the incoming tide. I think that they're crashing, they're chasing, they're feeding harder. Uh, some some of the spots I fish for mullet. I remember a, a local lad that moved to the UK years ago, um, and he does the Orvis mullet, you know, and bass saltwater festival most years. And uh, he was over home for for a while, and he said, "Look, we we go and do a session at that. Um, more interested in the mullet." And uh, we fished a, a session early morning, and then we went to fish a low water mark. And I said, "We go down here now, and the mullet are over there." I said, "How did you find them? I can't. I couldn't see them." So I saw them from the car, <laughs> you know, I'm obviously used to looking at them. Mm. And the first time I came on them, I think I saw them from the car and then walked down to investigate. And like, they're not splashing around in this mark. Like they're just barely dimpling around the place. But you you get used to what you're, what you're looking for. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like, I suppose, one of, I want to put words in it, it one of Tom's sayings, you know, if you think it was a fish, it probably was a fish. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you see, you see movement, and you think it was efficient. There's not a duck or, or an otter or something there. Yeah, and it's interesting actually, Jason, because that's what leads me on to. So, June came, the heat wave came, and and it's interesting what you're saying for people starting out. You know, if you're around the estuary, calmer waters, you're suddenly seeing a lot more mullet. Mullet have been this kind of fish that you can't catch them on the fly, and. Only through the likes of Colin McLeod, who's kind of, you know, pioneered this and kept at it for years. Suddenly, they're becoming this, <laughs> not the new bass, shall we say, but they're certainly growing, especially from interest of a, for the fly angler. You might tell us why they're of such interest to the fly angler now. Well, I suppose the, the deterioration in other types of fishing. I mean, this year, I think a lot of river anglers will tell you it started off too cold, no hatches. No fish coming up again. It's the same in the river, you know. A lot of lads just don't want to be just chucking nymphs all day, every day. They're looking forward to a bit of dry fly fishing, you know, fish moving, evening rise. And I think, think particularly the wind direction, and then the floods were killing it for for a lot of the guys. Um, then you get a heat wave, and the river's down its bones, and it gets sulky. Uh, you could go down, you could go fishing for mullet with much the same tackle, and see loads of fish swimming around you. And obviously the frustrating part is, is catching them, but you know, it's it's it gives you a target to cast at, you know. And I think a lot of anglers, you know, I'm sure it's the same on the lakes with some some anglers just want to dry fly fish or they want to cast at fish. You know, they could be very competent at other methods, but you know, you know, it's the same as as anything. And then look, salmon fishing. I think I, I only did a couple of days this year, guided salmon. And a lot of those days we fished salmon in the morning and came back and fished for mullet or bass in the afternoon. And it was interesting, you know, one guy, we were very lucky, we fished the upper black water around Ballyhooley. He lost the fish the first day and he got a fish the second day. Uh, you know, a ni- ni- nice enough salmon, a couple of pound weight. Um, yet, he spoke more about the one mullet 
and mm-hmm. a couple of schoolie bass he caught than the salmon. And I think he had spent a week in Iceland or somewhere. You know, he hadn't had great a great week salmon-wise for maybe the rivers over there that particular week. It might have been just bad luck or whatever. Um, but it was interesting to me afterwards. It was all about this one mullet and these bass. You know, you think salmon, the holy grail of, <clears throat> of fish. But it's the challenge too, you know. Um, I can tell you, right, you can be a very competent angler and I've seen really competent, like, we'd say competition, high competition standard anglers trying, having a, having a pop at mullet and not catching them, like, you know, um, it's not easy. And then it is easy as well, <laughs> as, as you know, Dara, when you're in the right place at the right time, you will get takes. Like. If you're a fly tire or want to get into fly tying, then this is for you. Ireland on the Fly have teamed up with Fulling Mill to give away a box of fly tying materials with free shipping to one lucky listener each week. With more than 1,400 products to choose from, each perfectly packed by hand, their new range of fly tying materials warrants closer inspection. The range of dubbing materials is comprehensive to cover whatever you want to dress, from tiny dryers to saltwater streamers. It is all there and some great UV mixes as well. From the individually preened marabou feathers to the top secret treatment applied to their new ultra dry yarn, the whole range is packed with standout new products, all generously served up for your benefit in a neat array of colours and sizes. From zonkers to CDC, bucktail to deer belly, just be sure to check it out for yourselves. And to be in with a chance of winning £50 worth of materials, just answer the following question. Name the species of fish that was Jason O'Reardon's most memorable fish on the fly this season. Email your answer to info at IrelandOnTheFly.com and we'll announce the winner on next week's show. And congrats to Paul Coates, who is the latest winner, and Paul will be in touch. And this for me, Jason, is what is the most appealing, um, I think, is because... Is, are you seeing as mainly river anglers that are kind of converting to the mullet as opposed to its bass anglers thinking, you know, I'll try now for the mullet? Uh, yeah, I think for me, in general when you think bass anglers, they're lower anglers. And bass lower anglers are generally bass anglers, right? Hardcore. And they may graduate from lower fishing to fly fishing for bass, right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then it's a long process to go from that to say something like mullet. Whereas a river angler, trout angler, can convert across the fishing for mullet in terms of tackle and tactics and that. Or a lake angler particularly, actually, I would say, um, I would say it's actually probably easier for a lake angler, the, the mullet fish, than, than even the modern, if you like, river angler who wants to be doing a lot of nymph. You know, the lads that, that probably are very successful in competitions and that do a lot. I know that to be successful, they have to be able to fish most methods, but the nymph is kind of the the winning tactic, isn't it? With, are you, are you t- going yourself. to tell us that the lob doesn't work on the mullet? Um, yeah, it's not, not that I haven't tried it no more. <laughs> but come here, no. Jason, I just want to ask you, would you say then that different, that mullet will be different to bass and that you probably, it's probably easier to catch mullet on fly than it is to catch bass on fly. Would that oh, be geez. right? No, <laughs> no way. It's but, then, but, 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 but then, how how else would you catch mullet? You won't catch them spinning. This is what I'm saying. Well, you can. Yeah, you can catch them spinning. And is it but, easier to catch them spinning than on the fly? Um, 
This is what I'm saying. Like, like what yeah. I'm saying to you is, if you look at bass fishing, there's no doubt by the way you're saying, it's easier to catch bass lure fishing. That's what I'm saying. Than it is because you can cover more ground. You Like what you said, down in Tremor, you can cast out your 30 gram lure on 20 pound braid and it's gone out 60 meters, which you won't get that on your fly, on your fly route. But judging by what you're saying about mullet, it's very visual. You're, you're, and, and I could see why lake anglers would, would like it because I, you're, you're presenting something to me and I, I can visualize it and I'm kind of liking this because I got a cover fish, right? But what I'm saying is lure fishing, if you saw the fish moving, like you wouldn't go after them with the lure, would you, the mullet in an estuary? Um, no, lads do. They spin basically some mips with a trace out the back and maddies, which is a harbour worm. Yeah. Um, but again, that's fish bread for mullet. You know what I mean? And and the ground bait weeds with maggots in them for mullet. That's not the same thing as what we're talking about here, say, this evening. We're talking about going after mullet with flies, which is what Dara was saying about Colin McLeod. He he just went with flies, no natural bait. Yeah. And I would say, look, it's probably easiest to catch bass on bait, crabs and lugworm. Then the next probably easiest one for somebody is the spin. Mm. And then the next one is bass. But if bass are feeding and you throw something in front of them, there's a good chance they're going to grab it. Yeah. I think bigger bass can be selective. And that happened to me this year with, with one particularly big fish. I covered, pretty much sure I covered that fish with a fry pattern, then with a gurgler, and then with a shrimp. I changed my leader, you know, changed my setup very quickly, changed my shrimp pattern, and he nailed it within three casts. I couldn't see the fish as in visually see the fish, but I saw them swirling beside me. Maybe there was more than one big fish, but there wasn't, they're not going to be a lot of fish. You know, mm. when you're talking about eight pound plus, they're not going to be too many of them together. So that was, you know, that was a particular fish that he didn't want the bait fish. He didn't want the gurgler. Yet he threw a shrimp at him. A couple of casts, he absolutely walloped it. Um, but if I started with a shrimp, you know what I mean? And he was feeding on shrimp, I had him. Mullet can be feeding away on, we'll say we think they're feeding on shrimp. And as Daryl tell you, we can make a thousand casts at them before one of them is going to grab it. And we can definitely see them. But I think it's like what you said, Jason, is the bass anglers, generally, they're lure anglers. You know, it's, that's their quarry and that's how generally the method is. And, that, and this is why I think mullet fishing is interesting for the fly angler. Because it it's just a closer branch of the sport where you're a lake river and you're casting to you know fish that you're seeing um and that's where i think and that's why i wanted to chat to you is because i think it's really interesting kind of maybe the development for you this year not that you've cracked or decoded <laughs> the mullet <laughs> on the fly secret but you you've kept at it i think that's really interesting this year you kind of made a concerted effort didn't you to really go after them and you've had a fair bit of luck yeah i mean look conditions dictated it the anglers were quite happy because we were using pretty much the same equipment you're just changing the flies from we'd say a little bit larger bass flies to a little bit smaller mullet flies it's it's exciting stuff they're all around you you know if er, at in the earlier part of june they were a bit easier to catch when they sort of arrived first um like i had sessions where i wasn't working too hard and i've eight or ten mullet if I was fishing myself, 
right lads out at the early sessions you know decent anglers would say not total novices is what I mean I mean you know, decent is probably not the best word um, you know they were getting f- maybe four or five and losing another four or five they were getting the takes you know um, but I would say if you asked me to go and get an angler to bring down to catch mullet I would and, and I have one coming down to me next year who I probably I'd say has fished for Ireland a few times Give me a still water angler, right? As in, not even a lock style, give me a still water angler that's competent with the bung and that's competent pulling wets and lures. And I think that guy will catch fish. That guy will catch mullet, like, you know. Why has it been, and, you know, obviously, I you know, like we mentioned Colin McLeod, you know, in terms of what he's pioneered as well, but like, I definitely think you're kind of you know, leading the charge where you are down there, Jason, in terms of really going after the mullet on the fly. Maybe just take us through kind of, you know, tips um, for for fly anglers wanting to go after the mullet. Yeah, I suppose there's a couple of things. We all have to get information from somewhere. Um, Colin wrote his, his book, and I recommend anyone starting off to get the book. Um, he'd probably shoot me. I don't have the book, right? It was a conscious decision I I just wanted it to do it myself. But again, I had seen a lot of Collins flies and so on. Do you know what I mean? I was not, without having the book, I was well aware, do you know what I mean, of the flies he was using and some of the tactics he was using. And that's why I say to anyone, get his book. Do you know what I mean? Um, the second thing is there's some good YouTube videos, but they're, they're, they're different, right? There's another guy as well, Darren Jackson, who probably should get a mention. Um, he fishes, I think, down near to Wales. I'm not not 100% sure. He fishes where the algae starts to go brown. So at the moment, the last couple of weeks, I've been friends with him on social media and that he's doing really well. I mean, he's had sessions, I think, where they've had maybe 20 plus mullet. Um, So they fish beaches where this sort of white algae turns a, a brown color and when when it starts off, it's toxic, but then it, it actually gets very nutritious for the fish, and the mullet really hone in and 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 it's sort of sift around through this stuff. Um, and he he he'd video up in the last few days, and I mean, you just look at these mullet going bonkers in the first break, like first little wave. Um, we don't get that where I am. I'm not saying that there isn't other beaches. You know what I mean? In the south south of Ireland, mm. that do we don't get that here. So there's no point me heading off. You know what I mean, I know the beaches around here fishing the way Darren is. And then, you know, some of the lads are fishing up the estuaries in the UK and they've really nice videos of how they're fishing the bung. We don't get exactly that in my area. We get something like it. And there are some places we fish with the bung and, and it's really productive. Um, so I think, you know, you have to watch these videos. You have to, you know, read the books if, if it's available to you. But it's you have to be able to adapt, you know. Um, and there's different species of mullet, and you know, again, Colin would say, you know, different retrieves, di- different behaviours. Um, well, they fish the differently same. for the different species. Yeah, there's basically you're looking at tins, ticks, mm. and, and gold, gold and grey. Yeah, and the gold and grey in in our area here. They come in over shallow, sandy ground. 
and they're in big shoals and they, they feed and they move at, at quite a pace. The tins and ticks, sometimes we, we get them in the same areas. A lot of the times they go up little river channels, drains, places like that. Um, you'll see them in harbours, you know, under boats, under boat docks. Um, sneaky, <laughs> I call them sneaky fish, right? You know, you're talking about going down in the muck, crawling around with your bung, flicking out your flies and waiting for these fellas to swim over and take it. And you're not doing like loads of casting. Going to graze on the other hand, they're coming at you in droves, in shoals. And, you know, it's more wet fly style, casting and retrieving. You can drift, you can drift, but where I fish for them, um, one spot, you can either drift the flies or fish a bong. Another spot I, I do go bit of fishing in you have to reef the flies. You know, we've tried all the, the, the different ways and that's what works. But um so I think like I say, um, I think if you can wet fly fish and if you can fish the bung well, those two methods will cover all three species and right. it's up to you to adapt like. Um from their surface activity, can you tell can can you tell which species they are? Um you couldn't be, couldn't always be a hundred percent sure where I am, but you generally know the goldens. They are very active, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like I've caught a good few sessions where I've caught goldens and tick lips, um, and the tick lips were a bit more lethargic, moving around, a bit more, a bit more spooky too. Actually, to be right. fair, yeah. Um, remember being on a high vantage point, casting at a couple that I could see. And like you only get one or two shots at them, and they moved off. Or the golden grey stayed, or you could you could make bad casts and splashing casts, and you know. I like golden grey. I like them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which are the bigger ones? Uh, the goldens tend to be smaller. Okay. Um, early season this year, as goldens go, we had some decent ones. Uh, probably if I had gone to the trouble of weighing them or measuring them properly, I'd I'd be surprised if I hadn't a few specimen size. You know, I think, I think Which is? Like probably two and a half pounds to right. three pounds is probably a decent, you know, it's a good golden. Um, I definitely had a good few over two pounds and probably some close to three pounds um, earlier in the year. But, you know, it, you know, that's kind of not a big interest to me as in like specimens and that it just doesn't interest me. But um, no, and it tended I think we tended to get smaller ones as the season went on for whatever reason. Um, you know, another next year could be different, you know. But but this year where we put a lot more time and it was great. Like I went down a few times, it was lads coming down from the shore and there was two chaps I met a couple of times. I just they put in, you know, I'd say at least a week, if not two or three weeks of until they caught they eventually caught their their mullet. You know, and that was their target. And you know, they were trout anglers, they had a good good grasp of, of of angling and fly fishing and they had to work really hard like so what um, are you looking for Jason are you looking for kind of like heat wave flat cam you know hot weather yeah. constant you know over a couple of days couple of weeks kind of thing for the golden greys definitely and clear water as well that, that didn't have any great success in dirty water um, camera bright sun oh I love bright sun for golden mm-hmm. greys brighter the better forget the overcast thing brighter the better 
Um, the other ones, ticks and tins, when you're going up into drains and, and little rivers and stuff with the tide, that's okay because you're, you're, you're normally sheltered. So, you know, they're a good option. They're a good option, um, say, in tougher conditions. A lot of times they're there, they're almost there all the time. You know, they right. just come down the stream and back up the stream. Um, yeah, there's a few places they're, they're kind of there all the time. But again, you know, turning the tide at low water, they might just get active around that time and feed. So, so fish that are there kind of all the time, the trick is then what time are they feeding? And is it like with bass where, you know, you target the kind of two hours before and two hours after the high tide? No. With the, with the ticks and tins, mostly in, in, in the channels where we are, you're really trying to figure out what time of the tide they're feeding and if there's a pattern. And if you get a pattern, of course, they're feeding at that time of the tide today and tomorrow, unless maybe conditions change a lot, like you get a flood comes down the river or shifts them or, or something. Um the goldens, the goldens are kind of a bit more predictable. They just come on the incoming tide and they're feeding. Um, but there are little tricks within that, you know. Uh, sometimes the golden are rushing at you and it looks like they're feeding, but they're not. They're actually heading to somewhere to feed. <laughs> one or two up. But if you can find where they stop, so, you know, if you're on a beach and you can find where they stop, then you're in business. Mm. So now you're not casting a you know groups of ten or fifteen going past you. You're actually casting a ten or fifteen that are stopped in front of you. And that's you know again that just gives you more casts at them and they're feeding and that that helps. Now the other thing I suppose just for people who wouldn't be used to it, uh, a lot of times like like Colin would say, um, a lot of time about wading out and casting back into the shore, like they're literally knee deep, maybe even half that depth they're really are in shallow like and it's gin clear um and you can see them like not like i mean as in when they stop to feed you can actually see the whole fish like bone fish like they're they're right in front of you and you're i don't i, I didn't bone fish but i presume they're probably closer to us than what you see in the videos the lads bone fishing like i mean you right. could be casting two rod links so does that mean like kind of i suppose the september kind of heat wave we had was kind of great conditions and then as we've gotten into maybe the cooler temperature the days of October it, they're kind of moved on or it's kind of finished yeah just one or two places I've seen them but to me once you get into late August September bass starts to just come back you know right. because you, you, you've this chance of bigger fish or a more consistent chance of, of bigger fish and you've had your fun with the mullet like you know now, is this, can I, is this, do you actually go back to the basket, the bass come on and leave the mullet, but are the mullet still there to be caught? This is what I'm asking. Or do you actually purposely leave the mullet because, hey, I've got to catch a big bass? Uh, last year, we picked up a couple of nice mullets. Oh, God, it could have even been into October, but we weren't right. really after them, right? Mm. We were fishing for bass mullet will feed on whatever is in front of them sometimes if you have a lot of bait fish they can take bait fish and they will occasionally snap at a, a bait fish pattern so you might be fishing a bait fish pattern you know at dawn for bass and catch one or two mullets sometimes um, and we did we, we did but this year not so much there's mm. one or two spots where I'm seeing them and not seeing the activity we saw early in the season 
So it's a mixture of the mullet's not great at the minute. Right. And the bass fishing should be in its prime. So, yeah. And look, even if the mullet was really good, personally, I'd go at the bass. Right. <laughs> yeah, because you want to cast that big bass, don't you? Uh, yeah, it's a bit of that. And like you, you've had all summer where you really, from a fly fishing point of view, you're generally not getting big bass. So, you know, September, October, good, if you get good water temperature and favorable conditions in November, that's kind of, you know, you don't have a big window. So, you, you know, you're going to go at them. Now's your time. I just wanted to ask you one thing there, Jason. And you mentioned it. The equipment, let's say somebody's going to give the mullet a go. What are you looking at? Five weight, six weight, seven weight? Obviously not a nine weight, I would take mm, it. Yeah, I mean, look, you, it's like most fish. You can catch them on just any weight in a sense, but yeah. that's just kind of, you know, that's just kind of a, we can say things you could say, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a few things. Poor Dara's in the firing line now again. I would use <laughs> a nine foot for a five. Right. But I would probably recommend to most people a nine for a six. Right. If you're going with a nine for a five, for me anyway, and the fishing we're doing, it needs to have a bit of backbone or whatever way you want to describe that in action or yeah. that it needs to have a bit of backbone. Some of the fives are kind of like a river dry fly or an older style river dry fly before people started using tree weights and, and that kind yeah. of thing. Um, and if you have to cast and retrieve, you know, um, then I think the rod needs a bit of backbone. We've often had that conversation ourselves in the boat about, you know, fishing mm. a seven weight for small trout in certain lakes yep. because you needed it to set the hook. Uh, yeah. A lot of the guys in the UK they're talking about using glass rods, glass fly rods. Yeah. Uh, rather, yeah. And, and they, on what grounds? Well, um, they obviously have their reasons. Uh, to me, it's it's probably related to not losing fish. Um, So it's obviously got to do with setting the hook and that initial, you know, would say flex or whatever. Um, They're, they're notorious fish for falling off when you're trying yeah. to set the hook. Um. I can't say I've had, you know, like I've had a lot of lads out with different rods and, you know, a lot of, a couple of local lads that are doing a lot of it, uh, using different rods. And um, when you're retrieving, when you're, when you're fishing the bung or drifting, it's, it's fairly easy. I won't say they hook themselves, but it's setting the hooks easy enough. You know, you've, especially with a bung because you've a sighter. So you're, you're kind of stripping and lifting it. It's easy enough. Um, when you're just casting and retrieving, um, you have to strip strike. And I think you kind of have, yeah, you, you're almost stripping and lifting. It's, it's a strange movement. But when you're doing a lot of it, you kind of get clued into it. And then you don't lose as many fish. You know, certain days you, you might, but most of the time you won't. Um, and it's hard because you might be after making 50 casts or 100 casts. Mm -hmm. And you get this one take. And invariably, it gets messed up. The more competent, the more takes you get. So, you know, if you're on hooking 50% of them, you know, so if you hook four or five and you get two or three, you forget about the two you didn't get. But when you only get one or two chances, 
and you, yeah. <laughs> you don't or you hook him and he jumps and falls off it, it is yeah it's hard, it's hard but it keeps people going back it's it's little steps you know you can't hook one then oh I hooked one and lost them and then you know mm-hmm. I hooked one and landed it and it's 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 just it's it's just um but yeah nine foot or you could use a ten I suppose the nine for six is is what I'd recommend because I think even if the rod's a little bit soft it'll be a little bit beefier than a five that's soft um floating line all the time now I haven't experimented with intermediates just everybody says a floater and that's what I've been doing as well mm. but it's probably maybe for some of the I do wonder probably next year might see a bit of experimentation <laughs> as you know no I, point telling me you can't or it doesn't work anyway I've had you often enough in the boat Jason <laughs> tell me just tell me that fly won't work Tom the deeps <laughs> What do you have that line with you for, Jason? Well, I'm going to use it now, he says. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give it a go. So I just, well, in terms of the hookups, when you're casting and retrieving, like we probably all say lake vision will hook more fish on the intermediate than the floater. Yeah. You know, wet fly style. And that's what has me thinking about just the style of fishing we're doing. Um, and sometimes with the golden greys, and, and this is probably maybe a bit different to what you might read sometimes in the books and that sometimes we are ripping the fly back and normally you know the advice would be a steady steady retrieve mm. sometimes ju- it's just where, where we're fishing i had a guy down a few weeks ago and tide i mean the tide was was, was outgoing it looked like a puddle right where a little tiny drain was coming down and it must have been 50 or 60 mullet inside in it. It looked like mostly golden greys, not not big. And we could see the little, they're like a shrimp, but they're a particular kind of mud shrimp. They were chasing them so hard that like half the fish's back was out of water. And the shrimps were trying to jump onto the dry land to get away. They were kind of, they kind of skipped or hopped along the top of the water. And then, and then they were, then they were trying to get away. I'm sure they just go back in and the mullet would eat them. But we sat there. We didn't fish for a good while. We just sat watching them, Amazing. you know. Um, but it was really interesting, just just to watch something like that, you know. And you have that advantage when you're guiding and you're not fishing, that you can, that you can, you know, you know, it's same with lakes and, and stuff like that. You, you see things that you probably don't notice if you're fishing, but. Yeah, and then leader. Oh, yeah. Do I have to mention the word tippet? Because I get my comeuppance. <laughs> if I use the word tippet around here, it's a... a tippet. Tippetitis. Yeah, tippetitis, <laughs> yeah. Tippetrauma. Um, tippetrauma, you name yeah. it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, personally, I would use 0.20. You could go a bit higher if you were fishing snaggier ground, ropes and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, where you're fishing for some of the ticks, and if the water is a little bit discolored with the ticks uh, in, in in you know harbors and that, then they're not going to see the, they're not going to see it. You could definitely go heavier for the goldens when you're stripping the fly, but I don't, you know, I just don't. Um, I haven't had any breakoffs with the point two o. I've gone down an odd time to point one eight. Um, you could say that. Most of the fluorocarbon, just to say that, most of them would work. Uh, If I've been honest, um, I only use one brand of fluorocarbon for mullet. 
and I struggle to get it. It is sold in Ireland, but not in the diameters, or it's never in stock in the diameters when I'm looking for it. Okay. Um, hands down for me, the Solderini Elite Competition. That's, you know, if, if I was to pick the tippet material mm. um, that's been reliable the whole summer for me, and I've no connection, obviously, with Solderini or anything like that, uh, that tippet material, um, I, you know, I found it really worked well for me in the clear water. Um, you could use Hanek and, you know, the usual the usual ones, but I don't know what it was with that stuff. You know, I, I just found it really good. Uh, your setup then, I suppose if I was to recommend, and I don't like giving away tips, but anyway, I'll give away a few tips on the podcast, I suppose. Uh, and, right? oh. Yeah, yeah, and you know I don't like to. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, what I would say, and um, Dara's been out with me and, and a few lads, I would set up as if I was setting up for three wets. Right, so two droppers and a point. Okay. And I would fish two flies. So I'd fish a point fly and I'd fish the dropper above it. So like let's say you're going four feet apart, you know, so twelve feet. So it's okay with a nine foot rod. And mm. if you have a scoopy landing net, you land your fish if you're wading or whatever. Landing nets are handy because you're wading some of the time. The landing net's a good accessory. Um we might go through the accessories even. Just it's important. Um, what I would do is I fish two flies. I would normally fish some type of apps, wormy looking, you know, uh, various versions. Colin McLeod has a, has a few good patterns. Um, red usually is is a good color in these. Um, and then you can fish different types of shrimpy looking flies. So a shrimp as in like a scud type shrimp um, or you can fish dowel back type flies usually with red beads called the mullet back again one of, one of Colin's patterns I'd have a little variations of my own but um, those types of flies and I normally start with two and what it means is if I want to switch to the bung I tie it on the top dropper so if you can get a bung the fario type bungs with the hook in the and then if I'm not wanting to fish the bung, I have the option of fishing a third pattern. Okay, so you don't want to usually fish three, even with a light breeze and the salt with a five weight and a longish leader. And sometimes I do want to fish myself fish longer leaders, if I can get away with it, um, just to spread out the flies a bit. But, you know, if you're fishing with two and, and you want, okay, these don't seem to be working. And sometimes a change of fly really triggers with, with mullet. So... It just gives you the option of putting on a third. And I think, I'm not sure, I think Dara has Colin's book, so you might know better than me, but I think he generally kind of tends to recommend two flies at this stage. And I think he says that he started with three. I think I, I, I came across something Colin had said about starting with three. Um, and then he eventually said, look, two flies is enough. And and, and that's funny because after I've spent the whole summer at this most days, I started off with three. It's kind of getting the lake fishing mentality. Tom would probably fish four or five. He'd get away with it. But no, I'm only joking. Um, six. <laughs> six, yeah. Uh, but no, like, you know, you do have that in your head from wet fly, three, you know, this this team of three. Um, but 
the advantage to me is the is the ability to to tie on the bung and take off the bung. And you're not doesn't matter if your bung is over depth. It's only a sighter. It's only you know for takes. So I'm not too too pushed about like having the bung up the line, and and it's good to anchor the flies, which is a bit different to bung fishing in a small still water where you probably want them off the bottom or sometimes actually they're not that deep at all. Um, you know, you're just using the bung again as an indicator. So um, don't worry about, you know, having your bung at eight feet and four feet of water. That's, that's not going to make a big difference. Um, but yeah, that just the ability to chop and change quickly, you know, because depending on what the fish behavior is, will dictate because if the fish aren't stopped in front of you, the bung is much hoped you. And you mightn't want to start ripping the flies through them. Mm in case they shift off. So it's easy to just tie the bung on, throw it out, leave it there. It might be for 10 or 20 casts. And then the fish will start to move around and other fish will come in. And if you want to switch back, just cut off the bung. So the, the easiest way of doing that is just to have a dropper for the bung to attach it to. You know? It makes perfect sense that really um, does, actually, yeah. Yeah, and look, it's it's like, you know, where you'd say with four fly casts, you can switch from buzzers to dries very easily. But everything's happened fast with the salt water because you have to remember the tide's moving and the fish are moving. So, you know, as opposed to like a small still water where there's not much movement. And even in, in the lock, like if you're buzzer fishing, the conditions, you know, the boat's not moving that fast a lot of the time. So, you know, you've no way, you can't control the tide. Tide's going to be rushing in or rushing out regardless. So, so you have to be quick to change, you know, and that's one of the things when you're guiding, like where you're saying to a guy, we're going to the bung now. And it's like, we're doing it now fast. You know, we're not going to take 10 minutes to tie on this bung. We're going to do this thing in the next two minutes. And equally 10 minutes later, we're going take that bung off again. They're probably looking at me going, Jesus, your man's a nightmare here. But, you know, you're just watching the fish behavior and you're just changing like, um, and it's that feeding behavior. And sometimes the feathers, like they're like, Dara, Dara's been down <laughs> literally hundreds of these yokes in front of you. I mean, hundreds, like not 10 or 20 or 50. <laughs> and you're looking at them and, and you're just going. Sorry, but for those, for those of us who don't have visual, as Jason said that, <laughs> Darren's head just dropped. You might have heard the thud because it hit the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and actually Dara has been telling me about, about it. Sorry, but it, but, it's, but it is that addictive thing though, Jason, like you said, it's small steps. It's like, okay, I've seen them this year. <laughs> Next year yeah, I will hopefully hook will. one. You will, you will. I mean, look, I'm not blaming user error for the one that got away, but yeah, shut up, I mean? go on, you will. Go on. And like I the guy this year covering ticks one morning. At first light, I don't want to say too much. He remember him talking about it, but <laughs> he missed the strip. It was the most perfect. We could see the V of the mullet coming in nice and steady. It was a good tick clip too. You know, probably like ticks can be five, six pound where we meet them. Yeah. And we were at these shoulder ticks for a while. They'd been there for the days before. You know, there was a nice pattern to them. I brought them down. I said, the ticks here now. Nothing happened. Funny enough, again, it was shite until the sun came up. And the minute the sun came up, it was like you flicked the switch, they just appeared. And once the sun was on it and it was getting bright and it was warming up, they were getting 
they were getting fairly active and they were really feeding it. I said, you're going to get one. You know, you were just going. Then it was nothing happening. Just casting at them. Then it just comes here. But this big V coming after, a bit like the salmon on, on the lock, Tom. You know, when you see this thing yeah, coming after, yeah, yeah, except yeah. except you're expecting this fish to take, right? <laughs> Not just follow you. And just when the fish took it and turned, I mean, it was textbook. He went to strip strike and his hand went down and there was no line in his hand. <laughs> right. So the fish turned. He still he still had the fly in his mouth. So then he went to strip strike the second time and he kind of plucked it out of him. Oh. And he kind of looked at me like, oh, effing this and that. You know, I missed him. And on the next strip, the fish took it again <laughs> and then he struck. Right. So he didn't strip strike at all. He just lifted and pulled out. Oh. I don't know. There was, could have been a fly rod went heading off into the shoreline <laughs> or the man could have threw himself in or. Yeah, you can imagine you're an hour and a half at this maybe and you get this perfect take and invariably this always happening to people. Do you know what I mean? Um, oh, it is. It's, 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 inc- funny, it's funny, incredible. Um, funny story. Ken Whelan was down with me in the summer and we were fishing and again, you know, Ken had caught mullet but, but he hadn't done a lot of fly fishing for mullet like like these golden greys because they weren't around always. Do you know what I mean? They're new enough species in terms of mullet like and um, you know they, they they weren't always in the Irish shoreline, like you know that they're I think they're Mediterranean type species. Well, actually, sorry, just quickly before you go on there, and is that because of the changing temperature of the oceans that that's why we're seeing them now coming up? Pretty, right? Yeah, pretty much. I yeah. mean, gilthead bream. There's other species. You know, I mean, obviously, Ken Ken being the marine biologist now could could probably list a, a few for you, but the ones we we see when we're fishing around, say, southeast of Ireland, are the gilthead bream that. Kind of never were there until the last ten or whatever years, and the golden greys, you know, they used to always be there. Now they're there, which is great for us. <laughs> more, more fish to try and catch. Um, I haven't caught any gilthead on the fly, but that's on my list as well. Um, yeah, I would get one on a closer, I'd say. But anyway, um, we fished, and the weather was it was a bit rough. You know, it wasn't ideal conditions, but the heat come down, and we were trying a few things and. I had two golden and I was under pressure to go home. Just, I just had to be back. It's something on. So I said, can you just keep going? There's about another 40 minutes in it. And I was walking back and I took off the line tray and, um, took off the finger guard. Cause you, you, you really, the line tray is really useful and the finger guard for any saltwater fishing. And I was nearly back to, to the start. And whatever way I looked, I saw these fish moving and, I just thought they're feeding. Look, they're really feeding. So back on with the line tray, <laughs> back on with the finger guard. And it was, it, it wasn't was a that important then, was it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's different <laughs> levels of importance at times. Well, it was just one cast. Yeah, I know that one. I'm just going to give this one cast. It's only five minutes. And it was a lad had been out fly fishing for a bass. He was from Kilkenny. I think he's from Thomastown. He told me, and he was walking in the shore. It was, and I thought, this lad's going to see these fish and he's going to probably cover them. And he might might think they're bass. And, you know, you start throwing, you know, he might have a nine weight or something. And that's not going to maybe work with these tick lips because they might mess mess off like and go off. So, so I, <clears throat> I moved fairly fast for me <laughs> to get down, to get a cast at them. And, you know, no offense to the chat. I, you know, I just thought he, he, he mightn't realize they were mullet. And um, <clears throat> he was almost maybe 50 yards or whatever. I had two casts, I think, second or third cast, and I got 
buried into a a really good t- actually no it might have been my first cast come to think of it could, could have even been the first cast I buried into a take and he came down in fairness he very helpful he said I'll land him for you you know and um, he land, landed the fish and he looked at me and he said he says, what kind of mullet is it? And I said, it's a tick lip. He said, I thought they were hard to catch. He said, you just walked down through it out and you caught one. And I kind of said, what am I going to say? And I said, no, no, they're hard to catch. So he stood beside me and, and I had a few more casts and I hooked another one and it came off. And I looked at my watch and said, you know, I'm going to be killed. I really need to get, get going. <laughs> I thought afterwards, poor chap thinks he just get a fly tied on to a, you know, a five or six weight and throw it out and his mullet are just going to start taking it. <laughs> Little does he know, you know, this could take weeks. <laughs> to start catching them but it was just you know how easy that fish took just walked through that and he took it you know strange when they're feeding and, that, and that's the key thing what's your most memorable fish on the fly this year please let it be a moment um, that you can <laughs> well the one that's in my mind most but that's a nightmare from Loch Corrib that I'm not going to discuss <laughs> place called Tiern and Oog I'm st- I'm haunted by that fish until yep. until I catch my next tear in an oak fish. Yep. I'm absolutely haunted by this fish. <laughs> you never grow old in tear in an oak, you know. <clears throat> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this: don't fall off that <laughs> horse, though. <clears throat> and look, I'm telling you, sometimes it's the fish you lose, right? You get to a stage where the one you lose and you don't see and you can't tell how big it is, it wrecks your head, right? <laughs> but yep. our, look, uh, probably that. I've had two two who say decent bass on the fly. Um where you're talking in around seventy centimeter, which is kinda of, you're talking about fish, you know, eight pound something you know, over seventies, probably a bit bigger. Um I've had two of them, but but that one I was saying to you where the conditions were so good. I, I, you guys saw the video. I wouldn't share look, no offense to people, I wouldn't share it with, with other many other people of what the conditions were like and the amount of fish that were that were in front of me on that mark that particular evening. It was it was real textbook. Just getting dark, massive spring tide, complete flat cam, yeah. fish feeding around. And and that fish, I mean, he moved a couple of times and I knew by the swirls that that this was no small fish like. Now he wasn't gigantic, you know, you're not saying twelve pound, but he was probably around you're talking about a, a fish seventy eight or 68 centimetres he was I think so you know he's close on 8 pound by the the conversion and um, just that fish and and the fact that the little fly you know and and changing the setup and and again doing it quickly you know it's like you know when a plan comes together you know because you could very easily have your sand deal pattern on or whatever and just keep throwing it out and I don't think that fish was going to take it that that particular evening. Mm. So it's kind of you know as you say, it's putting all the stuff together, you know, and and reacting quickly. And it's it's the same. You you know, I'm sure Tommy, you're drifting down the lake, and there's olives hatching and mayflies hatching, and you know, you're fishing one thing, and you see this fish moving, and you go, "Hang on, mm. he's actually on mayflies at all. He's on an emerging olive. You put one on, throw it over him, and you nail him. And if he happens to be a big fish." There's real satisfaction, I think, in in getting it right sometimes. We get it wrong most of the time. So, you know, when you get it right. So, yeah, that fish, and he was very strong fish. And I would say where he took was probably five or six feet deep. 
I wouldn't think it was any deeper. It might, <clears throat> it might actually have been less because, you know, the, the, the ground isn't a consistent depth. It wasn't deep. Um, the water was gin clear, flat calm. And yeah, that was, that was, that was a, just, just a yarn that fish, like, you know. Speaking of um, plans coming together, I presume then, you know, I, I get the sense, Jason, with you and Mullet, uh, you're getting a lot more of the pieces of the jigsaw starting to kind of fall into place. Like, are you going to, do you feel like you'll, next season you'll target them even more and even more pieces will come together? Yeah, look, if, if we get conditions, you know, that's that's the thing as well. I mean, it's it's like hatches and different things. You need you need conditions. But I suppose the way climate change seems to be going, we are likely to get, you know, drought type, very hot, um, heat wave type conditions. And they're ideal. They really are. Um, and look, it's it's something new. It's different. You know, even the flight time side of it, you know, just tying the patterns, experimenting. You know, we're at the stage where, you know, you tie a woolly bugger with a red button, then we tie a woolly bugger with a green button, then we tie it with a pink button. You know, it's, it, you know, and we've more various variegated shades of rabbit for tying zonkers. And, but they're all zonkers, you know, whereas, you know, you know, apart from what, what Colin and and they say say Darren and there's other guys I, I you know in the UK I don't I don't know the guys but apart from what 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 they've done um and some of the fly patterns and contours I think you know it's it's embryo stage compared to salmon or trout you know I'm sure there's more patterns and more things you can do to catch them that just the more lads are fishing like I guarantee you right. If you had mullet fly fishing competitions, like proper, you know, competitions, you'd see fly patterns coming out. Like, you know, you get the top 20 lads all the time doing it. And and that's the difference. You know, um, you see it with, with the with the river lads and you see it with the lake lads. Um, you know, they're just, just the small little things. Uh, mullet aren't fish for up with, with the fly to that extent. So... Well, I you, think there's loads of scope. You might have hordes of uh, river anglers coming down to the coast in the summers <laughs> to come. Uh, Jason, if people want to find out more, um, I know you've got your YouTube channel. If they're interested maybe in guiding, give us a bit more uh, detail in terms of the links. Yeah, I, I do um, a bit of flight time over the winter and, and a few new patterns um, for the mullet and that I'm messing about with in the summer. Game Fishing Ireland on YouTube. Um, same with GameFishingIreland.ie on, on, on the web. Um, they're the two main ones, and usually I'm at any of the angling shows in the south. Um, we do the podcasts and stuff like that as well. So, uh, anyone has any questions, there's I'd usually try try my best to help them. Um, but definitely, and 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 even the flight and it's not complicated. You know, there, there's not that many patterns, and and the patterns are not not too hard to tie in. I think it's a, it's it's most river ads that tie a few flies or that would be able to be able to tie them like. Yeah. Well, it's definitely it's a growing space in terms of uh, and it's I, I hope we've given some kind of um, and, and you've given a great explanation of it, Jason. And I do think it's really interesting that crossover that you know you're seeing between the river anglers and the locks anglers um, to this branch of it on the salt. So it's, I think it's definitely one to watch. And um, please help me get one on the fly next season, please. <laughs> do you know? <laughs> You have to catch them. Exactly. I'm I just need to get Tom down, you know. Yeah, I tell you, Tom would do brilliant on it. I, I think he would really good. You know, I might even 
put him where there is one. I'm already. I'm already. Oh. <laughs> well, you didn't tell me you would do that, actually. Yeah, I would. I would. The other five hundred will be on the other end of the beach, but we put you where there's one anyway. Good man. Good I want man. to make it too easy. Yeah. It's on my. It's on my small bucket list. You'd enjoy it, like I said. I know I one of the guys that. asked me. So I used to when I was when I used to live in Galway. I used to look at them in Lachotalia. Because uh, I used to live down, I used to live in Remore, a couple of t- um, couple of places there, and they used to come into Lockatolia, uh, which is anybody knows go if you come in by the train, and you the last bridge just before you come into Cant Station. If you look on the right hand side, there's a little inlet there. That's Lockatolia, and during the summer it just used to heave with mullet in it, absolutely heave with it. I used to go, I used to go down and just look at them. I was going to go. You can't catch these on fly. That's what I've been told. <laughs> but that was that was twenty years ago, so things no, were different then. Not anymore. Some people will agree, which is still Tom. It's not easy at times. <laughs> Jason O'Reardon, thanks a million for joining us. Thanks, lads. Our thanks to Jason O'Reardon for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.